0: Welcome to One on One. This Legislative Services Agency audio program consists of interviews conducted by a member of the agency. Each brief conversational interview features an expert answering questions concerning a topic of interest within an Iowa state agency. On Friday, December 11, 2015, Robin Madison and Jennifer Acton, both senior legislative analysts with the Fiscal Division of the Legislative Services Agency, interviewed former legislators Senator Mary Kramer, Representative Dolores Mertz, Senator. Sandy Greiner, and Representative Janet Adams. The former lawmakers talked about their respective careers while with the Iowa General Assembly.
1: I'm Robin Madison, Senior Legislative Analyst with the Legislative Services Agency, and joining me is my colleague Jennifer Acton, also a Senior Analyst with the LSA. And we're here today with four women who have served and are retired from the Iowa General Assembly to discuss their experiences and thoughts on women as lawmakers. Before we begin, I thought I'd provide just a bit of historical context for our listeners. The first woman elected to the Iowa Legislature was Carolyn Pendray. She was elected to the House from Jackson County in 1929 and later served in the Senate. And for the next 30 years, the Iowa Legislature included anywhere from zero to three women each biennium. Since 1960, the number has risen relatively steadily, and since 1970, the number has ranged between 30 and 35 women legislators. With that, let's go around the table and have each of our guests introduce themselves. Describe their years of service and tell us what made them decide to run for office the first time.
0: Good morning. My name is Mary Kramer. I served from 1990 to 2003. That was a period about halfway through that time. The majority party changed and I was elected to serve as the president of the Senate. So the last seven years of my service, I was really privileged to um, hold the gavel and serve as the president of the Senate. I ran for office because the woman who wanted to retire from my seat and two of her friends came to my house on a Saturday morning and what can charitably be called arm twisted. <laughs> because at the time I was a senior officer at Wellmark and former Governor Bob Ray was the CEO, my boss. And They told me that even if I said no, they were going to see him that afternoon and convince him that I should do this. So I thought if anybody's going to go see the boss, I should go with them. So we all went to see Bob Ray that afternoon, and he did a fabulous job of laying out the pluses and the minuses for me, but he was so a believer in the citizen legislature that he said, I wouldn't have to leave my job, that we would figure out a way to accommodate doing the job and serving at the same time. You know, men do that all the time, but it was a particularly interesting thing to me that he would say that, and so after having talked it over with my family, I decided I would undertake that task, and frankly, it was not too hard. While we were the minority party, to manage here in Des Moines, to manage a career and serving. When I became the President of the Senate, it was a whole different story, but we can talk about that
2: a little bit later. And I'm the Representative Dolores Munch, retired from Kosovo County. I served from 1989 to 2011, 22 years of service. Why did I run for office? Well, I could tell you a cute story, but you might want to edit it. After the Iowa caucuses that year, there was a flood of statements that came back from my county caucuses. Who would you like to see run for the legislature? And my name appeared on three-fourths of them. <laughs> so my senator, who at that time was Senator burrell came to me and he said, Dolores, if you don't announce at the county convention that you're going to run for state representative, I'm going to pull your pants down and paddle your rear end right there in front of that whole convention. (laughs) So that was an old way that I really couldn't risk (laughs) taking. So, but I had been a county supervisor for six years, so I already was in the political field. So it wasn't so hard for me to make my decision. Through
3: I'm Sandy Greiner from Washington County. I was first elected to the House in the election of 92. That was interesting times for sure because when I was sworn in in 93, the Republicans took back control of the House. They'd been out of power for 20 years, I believe. So it was interesting times. I think what I remember most about it was the reaction of the veteran legislators. They had been voiceless for so many years that they had an agenda they wanted to move. And I wish I had had more experience because I think that what we lived through at that time really should have been documented. How people, I just, the reaction was on one hand, I really felt that they had this thing they wanted to do and everybody else needed, they paid their dues and the rest of us just needed to help them get it done. I mean, there really was that. I could name names of people that said, if you think a freshman legislator is going to do this, well, I'm not more diverse than they did. but (laughs) But it was fascinating because... When there were differences of opinion, those differences were ironed out behind closed doors in caucus, whatever compromises needed to be made to get a piece of legislation moved through. Those compromises were made in caucus among like-minded colleagues, and then amendments were drafted to suit everybody so everybody could live with it and they could move forward. And I didn't ever see that kind of compromise within a party, and maybe Dolores can speak to that at some point during the morning, but it really was fascinating to watch and I wish I had had enough background that I could have really, because it needs to be on paper. Brent Secrest was the floor leader at the time and it's just so strange to me that somebody with a wrestling background, because he was a wrestling coach, detested confrontation. He would go to great lengths to avoid it. And it's just so out of character for me. I'm the mother of three sons and the grandmother of three grandsons. And some of them have wrestled. and. Believe me, they wouldn't want to quietly go into a room and resolve something the way Brent Seacrest did, but he was a master at it, and that's the point I want to make, that he just could bring people that were really at serious odds. He could get them at the table and lay it out there and solve the problem. I saw him do it so many times and probably the minority party only heard rumors about what was going on. They didn't get to witness it and it really was a fascinating thing for me to watch that happen. Why did I run for office? I ran for office because there were a group of people, primarily in the house, who just were interested in tightening up the rules and regulations on agriculture to the point where it was going to be very, very difficult for farmers to operate if their agenda was moved through. I saw this was right at the end of the farm crisis. There were so many people that were hurting financially, and because they were hurting financially, they were hurting emotionally. And then to have state government come in and impose deep, deep regulations on them, really a lot of them were having to just get out of agriculture, and it was really a sad time. I look back and wonder how things could have changed because now they're kind of going back the other way. But that was primarily why I chose to run. When my senator, Senator Hedge, retired in 2010, I ran for his seat. And then with reapportionment in 2011, through two Republican senators and one Democrat in the same district. And I was recovering from whiplash surgery and was really not physically able to, and I look back now and I should have stood my ground and I should have ran. But I felt like I didn't physically have the stamina to do a primary And it would have been a hard fought primary. I felt like I could win the general, but I just didn't have the stamina to do both a primary and a general. And as so happened, the house seat was vacant. So I just went back to the house. My friend Mary Lou Freeman was in the same situation. There was an open seat there for her. And we had a colleague, Gene Maddox, who also had an open seat that he could move to. So the three of us left the Senate and went back to the house. And really, my most treasured memories are of my time in the house. I felt like that's really where I belonged. I retired in 2008. I can't remember when I retired. Anyway, I retired, spent two years at home, and then when the seated senator was up for re-election, she was a Democrat, and there were fellows that had announced, but I didn't see that they were going to be able to take us across the finish line. So just kind of out of the clear blue sky, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. I was getting a lot of pressure from Governor Branstad to do it. Let's say tremendous pressure and I won't go any further than that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he had me on speed dial on three different phones. <laughs> anyway, I couldn't give anybody an answer. But I got everything ready and I went to bed the night before the county conventions and I did not set the alarm and I decided that if I slept till 7 a.m. which would have been too late to make the first convention that was a sign that I shouldn't do it (laughs) well I was awake at (laughs) 4 so I had plenty of time to get ready, that was my sign, so I had plenty of time to get ready, so I did, I showered and got gussied up, and which is hard to do when you're retired and you're used to living in your jammies until 9 in the morning, but uh, I struggled into my business clothes and off I went to the county convention and I announced that I was running in. Floored most everybody, particularly the fellows that uh, had already announced, because they were just uh, the beauty of it all was, is because I had already served in the Senate. I had Kreiner for Senate signs, and <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> nice big <weekends. laughs> and so I, I mean, it appeared, it gave the appearance that I was totally organized and ready to roll, and as you all know most of us have the ability to fake that it looked pretty good that day when i showed up and so there i was but i only served one term when i went back to the senate my heart really wasn't in it i just don't i just don't operate well under senate rules and protocol and uh, i'm of the age i just don't take that crap anymore (laughs) don't have to i've been retired i want to see something accomplished, I don't want to hear rhetoric. So, one term
4: was enough for me. I'm Janet Adams and I'm from Hamilton County and I represented a part of Webster County and part of Hamilton County when I ran. I was elected in 1996, I think. And, no, no 86, 86, 86, 86, yeah. 86. And it seems like a long time ago. But I anyway, mean, <laughs> Dale Cochran held that seat and he was going to retire and we were looking for someone to run and the man that was supposed to step up, he was the supervisor in Hamilton County, wasn't making any moves and folks were getting kind of concerned so I thought they said, maybe you could do that and I said oh I don't know I'll think it's inside. Well the, as time went on I thought yeah I could do that not knowing mm-hmm. what I was getting into of course. <laughs> That's always the benefit of the first time. So I went ahead then and dipped my hat in the ring and did win the nomination. And at that time, I was kind of in between, we had our trucking company that we were, getting, we were getting out of that trucking company and I was going to go back to teaching, but I hadn't gotten all that lined up yet. So I was kind of in between things. Well, as it turned out, in the fall, the superintendent in Webster City was looking for a Title I reading teacher and that was my forte. So I applied for the teaching job thinking I probably wouldn't get elected anyway from this seat if I did run. So, as it turned out, after a couple of weeks, I found out I had two options now. The superintendent was going to hire me to do this job, and I was also probably going to be the candidate for the House seat. So then I thought, now this is interesting, I wonder what the superintendent will say, and this is how it comes out in the paper. So I went to talk to him, not really knowing what he would say, but somebody probably would say, well, you know, you're a first-year teacher, you know, this isn't going to... Happen. How are you going to do that? Well, as it turned out, he said, oh, I hope you'll do that. We can work this out. You can teach the first semester, and you can be in the legislature the second semester. We need educators in the legislature. That's pretty key. It seemed as though things were kind of flowing out. All the issues I thought might prevent me from running uh, didn't turn out to be issues after all. Of course, I had some children at home. And in the election, eventually, that became an issue. The first couple times I ran, it didn't. But that's kind of how I decided to run and, and how it all
1: happened. Once you decided to run, what was the biggest change or sacrifice that you had to make?
0: The campaign was really demanding in, I represented a part of Polk County and my campaign coach was a legislator named Dottie Carpenter. And there were times when, rest her soul, I wanted to strangle her because every day after work, I would work all day, and at 4.30, she would call and say, somebody is gonna meet you on this corner and you're gonna door knock that neighborhood. Monday through Friday and sometimes Saturday. And the thing was, you went out after work and when the street lights came on, you were supposed to go home. That was her rule. And you know, the night before the election the first time, I threw away five pairs of shoes. Ceremoniously, we had a family gathering and my shoes went in the garbage because I'd worn them out, really. That experience, though, stayed with me forever because I had, I really felt I knew my constituents after that. And I think you have that sense in the rural constituencies much better because you kind of know people all together. But that wasn't the case in Polk. I had a very tough primary. The gentleman who lost the lottery to be the hy V CEO decided it was his seat and he was going to run for it and so that was my first hurdle and the second one was a gentleman who had served on the Des Moines City Council for a number of years and had a really well known and well thought of name in the city and so I figure if I get over those two hurdles I'm going to be okay for a while. But Dorothy and Julia Gentleman who was my predecessor took care of me (laughs) in so many ways and I can't thank them enough. So, hundred evenings between March and November, I gave up. But more important, as I looked back, I realized even though the company completely supported me in what I was doing, kept the job, kept moving on, the future as a business executive changed because I was no longer able to give 50-60 hours a week to the company, which I was doing all those years before. And so I could balance it all, but and the look back, especially later after I became Senate President, because I finally went to the new CEO and said, I can't do both of these jobs, and I want to retire from the company, and he said, i got a better idea. So he handed over the foundation to me. I loved it. It was a very rewarding thing to do, but it wasn't the career trajectory that I had been on or expected. So, economically, I think there were some sacrifices. I'd do it again, though, and they weren't enough that I felt it was problematic for me. And I had such support from my spouse and my kids and friends around me, and it led to experiences like I got to serve as a U.S. ambassador. I never would have done that from a business platform. So it served me with a lot of exciting opportunities as well as sacrifices.
2: Well I had a lot of changes. Of course I'd had that change before when my husband passed away and my two younger daughters, I had to put both of them through college by myself. And so that was a challenging thing for me. My youngest daughter was a sophomore in college. One before her was a senior in college. The one thing I think I missed was attending a lot of the things that my daughter was in, youngest one was in college. She was a great member of the West Bend drill team and at that time West Bend was known all over the country for the drill team. She was captain of the drill team in college. I never saw her before. She had the lead in the college musical. Never saw her to do that. So some of those things were really hard for me and it wasn't that I couldn't do some of the things, but they were always during the weeks, they couldn't get there. And then when you're off, they won't have anything, <laughs> they're off too. So so I think that's one of the biggest sacrifices that I had to do, because I was a breadwinner for my family, and that was hard too. And I think um, at the time that I ran, Sue Rollins was the representative from our area. And when I first served, I had all of Humboldt County, which is strictly Republican, part of Pocahontas County, part of Palo Alto County, part of Kosovo County. That's a long ways to travel. So it got very demanding. That was a change from being county supervisor to running for state office. And I should reiterate back to my first question. One of the prime reasons that I ran was all the mandates that were given to counties to do uh-huh. from the state. And I said, it's fine. If some counties want to do that, need that, let them do that. But we shouldn't have to do it. So I did get a lot of shells to May in the code book. <laughs> God, just I'll tell you, the poor man, I go like nuts. But I did get that done. But I think when I ran and Sue was the legislator and she was defeated in the Republican primary. And I thought, Oh my gosh, Humble Connie is all Republican. I couldn't find two Democrats to walk down the with if they introduce me to anybody. <laughs> so this was a whole new ball game for me because I otherwise, when I ran for supervisor, I knew all my constituents. But and so anyway, she was. Defeated by the name of Bob Christensen. He owned the radio station in Humboldt. And I thought, oh my God, am I in trouble? I could <laughs> have put an ad on there because he might change it. I don't know. It was, I don't think he would have, but he could have. So it was really a challenge. So I think those were some of the biggest changes going from running as county supervisor to our state of executive. You know, I didn't have all those little things that bothered me then. But the sacrifices I made for my family, I think, were the the biggest things. And I could show around the farm because the boys, I always say, do what I tell you to do and the work goes up, and that was a big incentive.
3: (laughs) I'm with Dolores, I think, the biggest sacrifices. Maybe I didn't make as many sacrifices as my family did, Mary talked about all the support that she got from her family. My family was busy operating a farm and I was basically in this alone.
0: And mine were grown up and
3: gone. Yeah, So they were watching saying, go for it. Yeah, the men in my family were basically spoiled uh, (laughs) to the point where I would lay everybody's clothes out on their bed in the morning for them to get dressed. So they had a lot of things to learn when I left. And it was good for them, but nobody in that family knew how to cook. Well, I had a Jenner grill, and you know, grilling is a guy thing, and so they grilled. Everything they ate, they grilled, so I had to clean the grill every day when I went home. Well, in the early years, we worked on Friday until noon, and when I would get home on Friday afternoon, There would be a mountain of dirty clothes in front of the washing machine. Now, these aren't dirty clothes like Mary Kramer (laughs) would think of, dirty clothes. These were dirty clothes that were sometimes covered in hog manure. (laughs) I mean, you open the door and walk in the house and that's the way it was. I had to deal with it. I had to make it work. Before I got to the utility room to find that mountain of dirty clothes, I had to pass by the kitchen table, which is not quite as long as this table, a good size table. And in the center of that table was a mountain of mail because nobody Sorted the mail. They only carried it in, and if they like this, and when they came to something for them, they'd take it, and everything else was left. It was a challenge, but it was a challenge that I was willing to face, and I. It's a lot worse than what I'm telling you. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, this is going to be documented. <laughs>
3: Just trust me. <laughs> uh, dishes in the sink with the dishwasher right beside the sink, totally empty. (laughs) Um, And the food was petrified on those dishes. You couldn't put them in the dishwasher because it was too late. Uh, You had to fill the sink full of hot soapy water and just turn around and walk away and let them soak. And it was all of that on top of my constituent work and everything else that needed to be done. When you've got a district that includes three or four counties, not Totally, but parts of three or four counties. That means you've got town meetings every Saturday, every Saturday. of the month. Yes. Every Saturday of the month, and so you get up and get out the door 630, 7 o'clock to get to your town meeting. So your Saturday is totally used up, to. and you get home at one thirty or two on Saturday afternoon, and you have a choice. Am I going to attack Mount Laundry again, or am I just going to hit the couch? And usually I did both. I got the laundry going, and then I got a quick nap before I went to Mass on Saturday night, and then you go out to and eat. And Something I think
0: really ought to be part of this discussion is the difference in pressure and sacrifice and time for the rural legislature versus the urban legislation. Oh, yeah, because yeah, you yeah. know, I worked hard door knocking and all of that, but I know once a month, maybe every other week during session, I would do a Saturday morning forum. Yeah. Well, it was just down the street. I wasn't See, going yeah. any you close. Know, nobody think. wanted to come till ten o'clock <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So it was not a big deal. The amount of travel yeah. that, that right. women are required to do and that everybody is but the thing is, I think, and I don't want to sound prejudiced about this, but I think women are so much more dedicated to getting that done. You would we all would have go. just felt terribly guilty if you didn't show up at a oh. forum on one Saturday. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, you, oh, you, know, you just, you it would like,
3: well, yeah, you yeah. had to go. Oh, yeah. Yes. Politically, if you don't show up. Yep. So it you happens. know. And when I ran the first time, my opponent, bless his heart, was quoted in the newspaper after I won my primary when they, the local newspaper approached him the night of the primary and said how did he feel about running against a woman because a woman had never represented our part of the state before and bless him, he said he really didn't think a woman had the stamina to serve in the So. it was my goal immediately to show him who had stamina and who didn't i proceeded to walk hundred and twenty seven miles from one town to the next and all those parades you have to do yeah Mm. just to prove who had stamina and of course the news releases it was free publicity one of my
0: opponents said running against me was like running against mother Teresa. nobody ever said that about me he did not mean it as a compliment but um i said i'm gonna take that as a compliment
2: (laughs) well you know the last 10 years that i was there my district was 110 miles north and south, 110 miles east and west. Because yeah. yeah. the, the population are.
0: shrunk in the rural areas, yeah. Yeah. districts got bigger to yeah. make sure yeah. there was it's, one bad yeah. one going yeah. I always remember
2: when Representative Ed Fallon said to me, Dolores, I want you to know that I walk by district every Saturday morning. I said, well, good for you. I couldn't drive by every Saturday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. Yeah. It took time to get there and then to return it, but it was a challenge i thought right. the biggest challenge i felt was being away from the family and missing the things that were going right. on at home and then living mm-hmm. in des moines actually was another challenge because you yes. gotta got, got find a place to live you gotta get it rented just for the right amount of months and so on and then the campaigning was, as you say, horrendous. A parade every single, in fact, there would be two or three parades every single Saturday. Oh, right. yeah. Because all those rural communities, every little town had a parade. Absolutely. So you had to figure out how are we going to get to Cameron, to Jewel, and to Ellsworth, mm-hmm. and then get back home to do door knocking as- during the campaigning time, especially. And, yes. and then after you're elected, you're still expected to show up. At those things. <laughs> oh, you're back for, more so. so it, it was, that, that really is a challenge because you did not have any time ready for yourself. Now my husband was very good to help out with things, but I always said women legislators needed a wife. I would watch yes, and observe I that. Yes. And and observe these male people and their wives were there doing it all for them. Doing the constituency work, and oh, no. you know, no, lining no. up helpers, doing all these things and I and I'd go home and I'd say, As I love you dearly, but you know what? I know that I need a wife or something like that <laughs> to be able to do all the things mm-hmm. that the, the male uh,
0: I used to, to say do. in my next life I'm going to have a wife, <laughs> because, but I learned earlier that my son played Little League, and they had white polyester pants.
3: I don't You're know what's statistics to bleach those. so You're not so, supposed to bleach that. those
0: polyester so, pants right. either. So <laughs> I said to him, you know, there's no magic in this. Here's the stuff. You spray it on this knee, and you put it in there. And if you want those clean tomorrow, that's what's going to have to happen, because I'm not going to do it. So, well, my kids yeah. knew they had to,
4: do. I mean, they had all, we had seven children, yes. so they had to pitch in. So they yeah. were pretty well on the road to taking care of themselves as yeah. well. As, and my husband being a truck driver before and owning a trucking company, he kind of knew how to handle some of those things. So I didn't have that challenge. But see, there were just a lot of other kinds of things yes. that were sure. out and, it. and
0: talk some more about having to live in Des Moines from Monday to Friday, because I just think with children of any age, yes. that would be really yeah. difficult. That was yeah. very
4: difficult. Now, they thought it was fun to be able to come down and visit every now and then. Yes. And the grandchildren enjoyed that a great deal. But uh, you're just missing out on a lot of things. You know how many kids are. Sometimes they just need their mom. Mm-hmm. Know, right? yeah. And mm-hmm. actually, they also need their dad. So, the, about the third time when I, on the third campaign, that kept coming up with my children, you know, actually, they were gone to college, way. We had two that were in junior high. But they were with their dad a lot of the time anyway. So, it really shouldn't have been an issue. But it was raised and it was kind of one of those oh, sure. background kind of yeah. things that were always no there, idea. but never mm-hmm. would really come up to the forefront.
2: Well, you know, I said to Burl one time, seeing what Madeline did for Burl, yes. I said, that's what I needed. Yes. To the wife, he said, well, you better not, she'll never get life to the
3: <laughs> I saw the same thing with um, Senator Hedge and his wife, yes. I mean, She was just, you know, Precious. always. And the thing that I noticed more than anything else, was they would have meetings in their home well i couldn't have a meeting in my home because i could either clean house or i could do what needed to be done out. outside and outside. so there was no i mean i'd have been mortified if somebody came because they would see mount laundry and <laughs> mount mayo you know <laughs> I couldn't have people in my house for a meeting, just wasn't gonna happen, but Aline was so dedicated to having these little meetings at their house and doing all the constituent work and I always said I needed a wife. And Kay, of course, would respond and he says, well, I need a husband because I need somebody to do the chores while I'm gone. I'm not sure, as conscientious as he was, he really realized What a blessing that was to a male legislator to have a spouse that, because she really had, she was right at the pulse of everything. But speaking about living in Des Moines, to me, it was the most luxurious thing I'd ever been through in my life. I mean, I shared a house with all these men and here I was in Des Moines and when I, put something away, it stayed there. (laughs) I really equated it to being at college again, because everybody had their place spread out all over the metro area, and we all set our own schedules, and in the morning you get up and you go to work, or in a college student's situation, to class. And at the end of the day, maybe you meet someplace and grab a sandwich or a little more than a sandwich. Or a little more you know, Yeah, and then everybody dispersed. So a lot of it equated to the same experience. The first year I was here, I couldn't sleep at night because it was so quiet. Mm-hmm. I finally Chuck kept That was the funniest thing you would ever heard. I finally got out of bed the third night and went and laid on the couch with the television blaring and was able to sleep immediately because it was the atmosphere I was used to. Okay. And I just couldn't function in total quietness because, and to this day, I still need background noise to to really function. But it was just something that for. 40 years I was used to total chaos and I couldn't relax when it was quiet it was yes. just a different thing for me. I course
0: went home to my usual schedule I mean there was dinner to think about there were messages to answer and calls to make and I went to the office before I went to the legislature every day yeah. so I was kind of living that schizophrenic life where I didn't my usual life and my legislative yes. life. And I don't know though, I think everybody's better off if I'm fully engaged. Otherwise, <laughs> mischief occurs. Yes. And bingo, bingo.
4: I would still have to do all of the legislative things. So you're, mm. right, you're going to work all day and then you come home and try to get all the things done that need to be done. It's constituency work. Mm-hmm. And then I think the fundraising was a big change for me. I was not a good fundraiser, I had to learn to do that. And that took some time for me. That was a change, I would say.
0: I had to learn to do that too, and I never, I got pretty good at it, but I never liked it. When I came, I when it, came, it, came it, back it, it from Barbados, people said, What are you going to do? And I said, I don't know, but I know what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to raise money for anything. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I yeah. just
1: burned oh, that, that, that up. No. You've mentioned. Uh, some of the obstacles for women serving in the legislature having to do with family and your careers. What about obstacles within the legislature itself serving uh, basically as a minority in the mm-hmm. legislature? What were some of the obstacles that you
0: faced? When I was first elected president of the Senate, and I came out of that caucus and the press was waiting and David Yepsen said to me, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm the president of the Senate. No way. I said well yeah. you get used to it because here I am. Yeah. And so he said, No, you're too moderate. You're a female. You're from an urban place. Never gonna work. And it's kind of like you don't have the stamina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just watch me. Yeah. yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah. But like the house at that time nobody in the senate when we took the majority had ever served as the chair of a committee one senator was still there that had been with the party when they were previously in the majority so it was a really steep learning curve to even figure out how to chair a committee and run a meeting nobody had ever done that before so there was a lot of education and to be in a leadership role and say, look, you don't know how to do this, (laughs) and we have to have it done, so how are we gonna get it done? Then there was some pushback from that, Mm -hmm. saying it's no big deal. Okay, let's watch you do it. Let's do a dry run and see how it works. That was a far bigger barrier than I had faced as a legislator serving in the minority. Uh, Even though I was an assistant leader that.
4: wasn't hard. David Gibson called me a backbencher. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And the interesting thing was, when the Democrats were in control, we had a large majority. So to be a member of the, of the committees was a struggle to get your voice heard, especially as a new oh, yes. yes, yes. And I remember that. I think it was something to do with the education. And of course i would speak up at those things and i had things to offer but we didn't have capable people in already in those positions in those chairs so it was not easy to get to move through the system did, yes but from a different too, i thought that was kind of an interesting yes. comment that he, he defined a lot of us. In. people yeah. ask
0: me often there was a period of time now where everybody thought i should run for higher office and i thought why do i want to go and face living in washington And be a backbencher, because you have to be, I mean, the way that works, you're going to be a backbencher for years before you're ever actually able to accomplish anything here, and that's one of the reasons I ran, was Iowa, our problems are of a size. We should be able to approach them and find ways to find solutions. I don't know if I look at Chicago and Illinois, or if I look at some other states or cities and think, would I really have the stamina to think I could make a difference there? I don't know.
3: But you know, I don't know that anybody ever publicly called me a backbencher when I returned to the Senate, but that was the role that I wanted. Mm. I felt like the last four years that I spent in the Senate, my role was not to push myself to the front and take a leadership position. What I wanted to do was quietly lead and teach the new members what needed to be done. I didn't need to be quoted in the newspaper. I, I was beyond that, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I do know. So many people don't understand, but I can tell from your reaction that you do. To me, it wasn't to get credit for anything. I really felt like my goal was to prepare those new young members that were just starting their careers for what they were going to face, maybe not this year or next year, but out there. And the time I spent with those new people sitting on the bench chatting, I really felt like those were my greatest accomplishments and we may not even yet see the fruition of those accomplishments but I was just felt like it was my role to encourage and sometimes stomp down the Mm -hmm. I found I was more effective If I
0: was out of the line, and I never introduced anything, I always gave it to somebody else to introduce and brought it through. And because it was just way, way more Mm -hmm. effective for me,
3: even when I chaired the the committee. You think that's
0: a woman thing, or do you think it's? I just all of a sudden we started talking about. Because you know when I
3: when I chaired. The Environmental Protection Committee. Very seldom did I ever run a bill unless somebody came to me and said, "You've got to carry this for us." Mm -hmm. You don't have anybody else on your committee that we feel comfortable doing. And lobbyists will do that. Sometimes leadership will do that. Yes. Yes. And say, you know, say (laughs) we really need you to carry this one. But under ordinary circumstances, I didn't ever assign a bill to myself. Always gave it to somebody else. Give them the experience, give them whatever. I just didn't feel like that was my role. But I would watch the way my male colleagues operated their committees, and it was very different than what I was doing. But I was kind of like the mother, okay? And sometimes even called me Mother Griner. I was. Boosting my little flock along and giving them the experience and getting them out there to do the things yeah. that they were elected to do. I just didn't ever feel like that was into
0: your blood some people said Bob Ray said to me, this will just get in your blood and you'll never be able to give it up never did
3: it's <laughs> yeah, totally easy you know yeah, yeah. it's so easy to run around in your jammies until 9 a.m you know <laughs> i didn't do that yeah. oh, well, i did Boy, no, i do well, i still, I still do
4: yeah. it's I wonderful. Think, no i don't couldn't say it ever got in my blood i think the pressures of it would make one not want to get into your blood but you got to keep a common sense realistic approach That's to these things yeah. you know there's another world out there and after i when yeah. i was defeated and after defeat, i thought this is kind of a relief. There's
2: another whole world out here. I don't have to do all these other kinds of things that were causing a lot of pressure on myself. And well, it was kind of hard for me. It were 61 Democrats the first term that I had, and I was kind of the rebel of the House because I was a lot more conservative than any of my Democrat people in the caucus. I probably got called back to the woodshed more than any other. I've it I a couple times
4: like yeah. that. And
2: uh, so it was hard, but you know, I said to the caucus one time there's not a person in here that ever pulled a lever or filled in the circle for me. And so I've got to look at this face in the morning and I've done something I know I shouldn't be doing, even though there's pressure. I remember one time when we had a big appropriation bill and we had 51 Democrats. And Tony Bizek now, the chair of. Economic Development, Tom Yochum was Chair of Appropriations, and Bob Arnold was the Speaker. And Tony came over to my desk he said, Dolores, I already have my no vote up there. They don't have 51 votes, and he said, you can't vote for this. I said, yes, I can because you shouldn't be passing this. Do you know what all is in here? I researched a lot of it, what caused my pain patient and nursing home, $10 more a day. No, I don't think. That's just one of the things. No. Oh, here comes Samyok, the Lars. You gotta change your vote. You can't keep that no vote up there. So I told him the same thing. Pretty soon, I looked up and I sat in front of all, the whole 22 years I was there. My mom, what is this? so I knew I had to go in the woods there again. So I'm back there, and he said, you have to change it all. I said, sir, if you just made your first mistake. Don't ever tell me I have to do something that I don't want to do, because then I'm surely not going to do it. Now, I told Tony DiSignano no. I told Tom Yoker, no. And I told you no. No, that's no, no, no. <laughs> I one of those three words, don't you understand? I never did, change my No, well, you felt good about it. You didn't change
0: your vote. And I wonder, and you can think about that, would they have asked you that three times if it had been
4: one of your male colleagues? Would they have come to you with that kind of pressure?